Hello, and welcome to episode two, Why Agency, in the CanMe podcast series, Making Equity in Mathematics Lessons Concrete. The California Action Network for Mathematics Excellence and Equity, CanMe, is a collaboration of California mathematics projects with state and national groups and organizations that focus on excellence and equity in mathematics education. I'm the host of today's podcast, Celine Liu. Our guests today all contribute to the work of the CanMe Equity Task Force, informing our lesson study inquiries into equity in mathematics classrooms. Harold Astorius is a founding member of CanMe who shares his understanding of English learners. Karen Mayfield Ingram is author of a main resource used by CanMe, The Impact of Identity in K-8 Mathematics. And Brent Jackson specializes in gender equity during mathematics small group work. And once again, I'm Celine Liu, your host and chair of CanMe's Equity Task Force. Today's conversation will focus on student agency in mathematics lessons. We'll talk about what is agency, what does it look like, and how do we take agency into account while planning and observing a mathematics lesson? Before we dig into that exciting conversation, let's find out a little bit more about who our guests are today. Let's go ahead and start with Harold. Harold, tell us a little bit about how you came to this work and what your orientation is in terms of math teaching and learning and why can me? Thank you, Celine. I am so happy to be here and I, been doing a lot of work connecting language and mathematics. And in that work, as a window into what equity looks like in mathematics, has helped me understand better how to provide students opportunities to learn better, to have more access to content, and in in doing so, being able to use their agency uh, to understand better what they're learning. So I am keen in thinking and helping others think about how do we create better opportunities to create powerful learners. That sounds like a lot. I'm excited to hear more about how that plays out in teaching and learning. Karen, what brings you to this work? For the past few years, I've been involved in a project that works with Oakland Unified School District in a teacher residency program. And I have been in many uh, middle and High, uh, high school classrooms. And one of the things that I've seen a lot is we can have really strong, technically strong on paper kind of math lessons, but we still have the same group of students. And unfortunately, the seeing that pattern of students who are not engaged in that work. So it's important to me that all students have access and opportunities to be mathematically powerful. And I believe that there are, when we place those students in the center of our design, that it will those, those areas will be created for them. So I welcome the opportunity to talk with others who are, who are focused on providing each student an opportunity to be mathematically powerful. 
And I hear you speaking about some previous work that's been focusing on excellence in math education, but really you're highlighting the equity component that we can talk about excellence, but if we're not talking about those students who haven't had access to that in the past, then we're failing our work here. And Brent, what brings you to this work, to Canme's um, lesson study project? Hi, it's a joy and honor to be here with all of you. What brought me to the work of CanMe is I was a middle school math teacher. And while teaching middle school math, I was involved in several lesson study projects through the California Math Project. And then I ended up becoming a project director of one of them. But as I was teaching, I was always interested in trying to get group work to work more equitably. So whatever I was trying, I was noticing certain students tended to always kind of dominate and had more power and control in the groups. As I was involved in the lesson studies as a teacher myself, and as the project director of one of the California Math Science Partnerships, I became really interested in how teachers learn through studying their own practice. So right now, those two interests are very much what I study as a doctoral student, how teachers learn about group work, um, through studying their practice, particularly interested in gender and how that plays out within group work. I think all of you have spoken to some of the aspects of my own involvement. CanMe, I think, is a space where because we are being explicit about attending to access to these high quality learning experiences for students we're really shifting the dialogue that again, I think to echo a little bit of what all of you have said, there's been a lot of work that's happened, a lot of study around how we improve math education, math teaching broadly, but we keep on leaving out the same students. And so if we're not designing with those uh, marginalized students at the center, then we're gonna continue to perpetuate the service gap that has been really our educational system for so long. I'm honored to sit in this podcast with the three of you who bring such a wealth of diverse experience. And I think that's one of the things about CanMe and about lesson study that makes it so powerful is it provides a platform for educators with lots of different experiences and expertises to come together and really build and think about our practice. Let's go ahead and jump into our conversation about agency. Karen, I'm going to ask you to start us off. What is agency and why is it important when we talk about excellence and equity in mathematics education? I think I'm going to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about students' math identity because I think the two are connected very strongly. And I'm going to define identity as uh, a student's disposition, how, what they believe about themselves with regard to mathematics, how they identify themselves. Do they think of themselves as a powerful mathematic student? And some of that information is obtained from their own interaction with their educational system throughout their schooling. It's also impacted by the information that they've gotten from their teacher, their peers, family members, as with any part of our identity, right? It's, it's, it is a dynamic 
that and we have multiple identities right and students have different types of identities and, and thinking about mathematics it evolves so agency is this, i think of agency as the behavioral element of your identity in that that's what we see how 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 my agency takes place what it looks like what my identity looks like when it's when it's um portrayed in a classroom it's the behavioral element. How, I'm, how am I willing to participate in an activity, in a group situation? There are, there are different types of agency with regard to collective agency, participatory agency. And again, like, like identity, my agency is impacted by how others, if they, if, if I'm in a group situation and, and Brenda's done a lot of work on, uh, on group work, how that agency is acknowledged in the group also is impacted that way. So a, a student can come into the classroom with a strong sense of, a sense of a, of their math identity and willingness to participate in their, with regard to their agency. And if they're not giving the opportunity, I as a teacher won't see that. So, that's where the interplay of the lesson design and the agency comes into play for me. Thank you, Karen. You mentioned, you know, agency as the behavioral component of a student's mathematical identity. And you mentioned a couple different types of agency. I wonder if you or Brent or Harold could speak to mathematics agency in particular and maybe how a teacher would have to attend to that or pay attention to that in their classroom in order to foster that or in order to tie into some of the other aspects of agency that students might be bringing into the classroom that maybe isn't mathematics agency. Uh, one of the uh, most recent conversations we've had in trying to think about how student dispositions are they ready or activated to learn mathematics and to learn in general, but to learn mathematics has made me realize that the identity, uh, the mathematical, mathematical identity of students is in a large part shaped by school because we were trying to dis discuss what does it mean to do math in the real world? How, what experience do students, do children have? To understand mathematics in the in the real world, and many times when we ask them what mathematics is, their definition or their first conception of what mathematics is is their school experience. So, as Karen was saying, the all those experiences, both from home and from school, shape their identities. And I think that having a, a, a better understanding of how experience prior experiences cultural environments, social groups shape their identities is an essential uh, understanding that teachers need to have in order to design learning experiences that promote a positive uh, identity. I don't know what others think. When I think of agency, I, I think there's kind of like two different framings that I can somewhat take. So I generally think of agency as like the students or a person's, in this case, students' abilities to like manipulate within their environment or kind of 
produce certain outcomes within their environment, take certain action within their environment. And on one level in the classroom that we can look at that changes levels of agency that are become easier to exercise or not would be the type of tasks that teachers are using. So if you're using low cognitive demand tasks, that's only going to allow students to exercise a certain type of procedural agency where mathematics becomes this thing about producing procedures. Whereas if you're using high cognitive demand tasks, there's a much wider array of types of agency and ways to show and do mathematics using those types of tasks. So that's one way that you can look at agency within the classroom and what type of agency students have is through the use of tasks. And then the other has to do more with, well, that has to do with identity also, but has to do more with their outside of school identities or their identities as as students that more or less like get accumulated from being in the classroom or the expectations that are set up from being in a classroom and students develop into certain kinds of their peers or certain actors or types of players that that happen to be in that we think of as in all types of math classrooms so some students become positioned as the the student who's going to be able to answer the question for the class and they gain they gain status and they become expected to be able to finally give or to give the answer or be the authority to claim whether or not an answer is correct or not. Whereas other students can create a claim and it's kind of expected based off history. Other students might think that, oh, this student doesn't typically do well in math class. So we're going to be really skeptical of that student's claim or so that student isn't like, doesn't have the the rights. I don't know what word to use in the class to, to really do that type of mathematics but the student becomes positioned in a way to your your job in this task is to do these procedural parts of the task. You, you don't get to do the, the higher thinking. Um. One, one idea what Brent just made me think, and, and I, I don't think I have realized this as clearly as this moment, is that agency, there are aspects of external influences into agency that are also internal elements. And we don't think enough, I think, of both what they are and how the interaction between them, the external factors and the internal factors, promote or not that agency. As Brent was saying, the, the tasks that teachers choose, the questions they ask, the positions they, they put students in, those are external uh, factors that may or may not promote agency, but also what students interpret of their environment, their peers, whether they feel valued, whether they feel heard, whether they feel mathematic, mathematically as thinkers. I think that all those are factors that we have to pay attention to. Karen, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, and I, Brent's comments emphasize for me the importance of and the reason why, for instance, we, in the Canary model, we have the interview with, we pick certain students, the focal students, and why we interview students. Because it's, as we talked about, Harold mentioned the interplay between the internal and external factors. And a teacher, it's very difficult for a teacher to know, to see that interplay and to understand that without talking with the student without understanding more about how that student is negotiating 
those those kinds of uh, factors in there with regard to their mathematics. And so when I design a lesson as a teacher, I need to understand that interplay and students come in with agency and I need it's my my role is to create an environment, design my lesson and be that the lesson or be the group experience and how I place that student in the group, how how I think about the interplay that needs to happen in that group so that students can express that agency, right? And so these are factors that is are very difficult to know just by what I see, how, what I see in the classroom and just designing a lesson without really knowing who that student is. And so that's why we, we, you know, we pick, uh, we have focal students uh, of two or three that I want to know about more, learn more about. And so the thought is if I create, and I think about those students in the core of my lesson design, that those students will benefit and other students who have um, will also benefit because once you create avenues for those who are marginalized, there are uh, avenues for, for, for many other students also. I, and I, I think that this is at the heart of social emotional learning, right? It's about what, what this helps me is having a better way to talk to teachers about what, when I, what I mean when I say you must know your students. Because just know your students is not enough, right? It doesn't, it's not clear enough what we mean by that. But I think that all these, all these ideas that we've been talking about helps me have a better frame for working with others as, uh, as I guide them into interviewing students. For what purpose? It's not just know your students, but really understand what their, what their aspirations are, what their interests are, what they feel either value or not, and and then how to help them develop more positive ways of thinking and positive ways of interacting with others. So it sounds like there's some work that teachers can do to more deeply understand and really see who their students are, to understand perhaps even more deeply some of those internal factors that without doing focal student interviews, we might not be exposed to. I wonder if one of you might speak to the filters that a teacher also brings into the classroom that informs or affects how they're noticing student identities. What is it that allows us or that positions us to position students in particular ways that we have certain expectations of what they can or cannot do in a math classroom? What is it that makes us perhaps blind to the nuances of our focal students, largely because of our teacher identities that are manifestations of the social constructs that we kind of live in and the culture that we exist in? It's funny that you were uh, mentioned that, uh, Celine, because I was just writing a note to myself about the lens that teachers use as they interpret, uh, which is is critical. It's we're we're sitting here with a microphone and a, a device in front of us that sort of shields that part, and that I think of the teacher lens in that respect that it influences our own experiences in school, in teaching, in in as being an educator and being a person in society, it's a filter that we see our, our world and our children through. And we each of us has one. And so 
our perceptions about what it means to be mathematically power, how you communicate that mathematical understanding, what agency looks like, what it means to participate. Those things are filtered by our own experience. And so each student brings in their own individual manifestation of that, that that's influenced by their culture, their experiences in school, their many other identities. And I, as a teacher, have to be open to what those look like and, and kind of interrogate my own perspective of what it means to be mathematically, express yourself mathematically, what it means to participate, to have agency in mathematics. And that is something that, that each teacher has to, as I said, interrogate because it's, it's influenced. And so I think that in many cases, that is why a lot of our students have not, at some point in their life, they've not been seen or heard. Many of our students who are marginalized, who have not been had the opportunity to express themselves and perform well mathematically is because they weren't seen or heard in the way that they did that. And it's important for us as teachers to kind of reflect on that and, and think about is, is it the way, what does that participation look like? Is it not as, is this not, well, as vocal as I think it needs to be? Is it part of some way of I'm talk with my hands? Is it not linear enough for me to understand that as a teacher? So I think it's not mathematically as strong as some other ways. Is it all of those kind of ways it manifests itself, manifests itself in the classroom? I think that's a really important thing to highlight is this idea of teachers' identities and their mathematics socialization, the way that they have come to know and understand mathematics and what it means to be mathematically smart. So to come back to like the CANME model of the use of, of focal students is it's really important to investigate your focal students' ways of knowing and doing math so that something the teacher can do is begin to step outside of what they're comfortable in knowing and, and seeing the ways that students are doing mathematics in ways that are valid and smart, but what they might not necessarily be able to see from their mathematics socialization or in the like chaotic nature of classrooms and, and the hustle and bustle of daily classroom life. So that students that are more marginalized, what the teacher can do then is is once they're able to to kind of step outside their own ways of knowing and doing is they can they can see the brilliance of their students in other ways and then position that in class highlight it and show the ways that students that have been or continue to be marginalized in classrooms they can really highlight the way that this student is smart and make it public and an idea from complex instructions assign competence to those ideas so that we can start to broaden the ways that we accept mathematical smartness in classrooms and it gives more students once we begin to do that it gives more students additional ways to exercise their mathematics agency and seeing that there's multiple ways to be smart in the classroom and and i think that there is another connection to be made and that is that our educational systems are or have been designed in a world where there is white dominance, and that's an, the elephant in the in the room that most often doesn't get discussed, which is 
how the assumptions, the social defined assumptions about what is to be smart, what is to do math, are pervasive and create inequities and injustice in our systems, educational systems. So we're asking teachers by knowing their students, interviewing their students, using their understanding of uh, and their relationship to them to challenge. I, essentially, we're asking them to challenge the status quo and the system in order to provide real opportunities for students to learn and exercise their agency. And I think that that's a, that's a, a really hard thing to ask for some people who have been, as Brent and Karen said, socialized into this understanding of what education is, what school is, what learning is, what math is, what being a thinking person is. And it seems like this is where lesson study is such a powerful tool because it is, it can be absolutely overwhelming to interrogate our own identity in this large structure of white supremacy as it manifests in our educational systems. But what happens when I focus on a handful of students? What happens when I pay particular attention to a research lesson and a hypothesis I have about a teaching practice that I'm going to implement and try and see how that plays out for my students. I wonder if any of you could share an example of a lesson or a scenario in a classroom that you saw that could, could give our listeners an idea of how you can set up the environment in a classroom to impact agency. How were teachers trying to pay attention to mathematical agency uh, per perhaps in a research lesson. Brent, you mentioned complex, complex instruction and assigning or naming competence and status in the classroom. And for those listeners of ours who maybe aren't as familiar with complex instruction as an intentional way to bring in collaborative work into the classroom, maybe you could speak a little bit more about that. But Harold and Karen as well, any examples you saw where teachers were maybe trying a particular teaching practice and in your work as equity commentators or in uh, digging into the lesson, there was discussion about how that impacted focal students and their agency in that particular learning context? I have seen situations where a teacher has and specifically designed, designed the lesson, students were in groups and design a lesson where they have set up, say, a uh, a diet kind of a situation where students are supposed to talk and share their work for purposes of, of um, a particular question, and then worked in a group, and then the group shares the work. And so the teacher has gone around to each of the groups, kind of hearing, checking in to, for understanding and seeing where the groups are, and knowing about as one of the focal students and understanding and, and kind of observing that their comments were not were not acknowledged as much in the group. For instance, that there was a, a mathematical insight that was made that kind of got just laid on the table. And then others went along and made some other observations and the group kind of, the group dynamic built on that. And so the teacher noticed that. And so when she brought the class back together 
what she did is she she acknowledged she reassigned status, which is another element about complex instruction is noticing the status issues that are there and reassigning those. And so she called upon that student and, and she re- reiterated what they said and, and called that student to share that information, which now highlights them as, oh, this is something this person had something that value that used the classroom to okay and someone else can build off of that so she modeled what kind of should have happened in the group situation by bringing that student in the center starting the conversation with that student's work and asking others to build on that and so that that would be was one example that i've seen of of uh, a teacher using those uh, their knowledge about the student and their understanding and be kind of reassigning and, and redistributing that status. And so then going back to your original kind of explanation of how identity and agency are so deeply tied together, it also sounds like this student was really supporting a positive identity development for this student as a mathematician, as a mathematical thinker, both for themselves internally, but also creating that external context where other students would see them as a mathematician, would see that identity, and therefore perhaps equip that student to have more agency to to take some actions, to push some mathematical thinking and understanding forward. That was a really nice summary, Celine. There was one phrase that you used, though, that I want to unpack a little bit, and that was the idea of more agency. I think when we are looking at agency in the mathematics classroom, it's not necessarily about more or less agency, but that all students are exercising agency in different ways. And we and that's part of what we want to understand is why do some students have the ability or within certain groups, why are they able to exercise particular forms of agency that are more valued in the math classroom and other students are not able to exercise those types of agency? So what that idea kind of really comes back to is this idea of power happening, particularly in group dynamics, but also within the mathematics classroom, that what we really want to understand through this idea of agency is who is exercising the types of agency that we value as mathematics educators, and how do we get, how do we design the environment so that other students, particularly those students who um, are marginalized in the classroom, what do we do in our classroom so that they are so that all students are, a- are able to exercise the type of agency that we value. And so as we wrap up our session today, Karen, I wonder if you could just close us off and give us some tips as teachers. How does a teacher use these ideas and understanding about agency to plan opportunities for students to exercise their mathematical agency in a classroom? What should we be thinking about? A couple, a couple of things come to mind well, that we've talked about during this session is, is one being aware of that agencies looks like, sound like, sounds like different for different students, that agency is often racialized with regard to how it's expressed, how it's perceived and how I perceive it as a teacher. In thinking about how, given that information, how I how I position them within the classroom, within my lesson, knowing some things about the students' experiences, who they are, what their experiences are in mathematics, what kinds of conditions they feel 
are comfortable that they express their agency? What kind of, what are those conditions? And creating those, replicating those in my lesson, be it a group design, who is in that group, how I design pedagogically, the interaction with those groups, how I take that information from that group and feed it back to redistribute or, or reassign status in the, in the, within the large group. We talked about identity being shaped by not only my own experiences, but how others perceive me. And I take that information. So when you, when a student expresses agency and I, as a teacher, position them in a way that others see that, that also you begin to see how that dynamic of identity and agency comes into play, how that strengthens, can strengthen a student's identity and give them more opportunity and understanding about opportunities that they have to express that agency. And that's why in, in the in the model that we express in the Canme lesson design model, we focus so intently on understanding and knowing more about our students because it's that teachers have that power to be able to create those opportunities or to ignore. And by ignore, I mean not understanding enough about the students so that those opportunities are not uh, created. So we want to be able to, in the lesson design model, understand more about how, how to do that. Thank you so much for these incredible thoughts, Brent Jackson, Harold Astorius, and Karen Mayfield Ingram for sharing your thinking and continued work on agency. I also want to thank you, our listeners, as you followed this conversation about Canme's inquiry into the role of agency in mathematics lessons, helping all of us to make equity concrete in mathematics lessons.